0: All right, let's open up in Ezra chapter 4 tonight. See if my glasses don't fog up here. <laughs> so Ezra chapter 4, we are going to see the Jews going back into the land. So remember, last chapter, laying the foundations of the temple. Uh, going off the orders that Cyrus had gave them to go back and occupy the land and to build the temple and to build the city again. And so they're doing that. And we see here as the temple is being built, the surrounding areas and the people in the surrounding areas who were heavily into Baal worship and Asherah and also God or Yahweh was mixed in in that worship. And we'll see a little bit about that later. Uh, But they, they sought to become part of what was going on with the Jews. They wanted to have their hands in it as well. And had they been permitted to do so, they would have no doubt taken over that whole enterprise or building of the temple. Not only the physical building of that temple, but we can pretty much say that they would have taken over the worship in that portion of the temple and drove it right back to, and the people of Israel, right back into idolatry, which they were brought into captivity for. So including these people who were in the surrounding areas, uh, they probably would not have been worshiping according to the law, of Moses I'm pretty sure they would have had priests that would not have been in the line of Aaron and then they would have been down the same route that they were in 70 years earlier worshiping these idols the question here with the people was not a question of their race but it was a question of the religion that they would have brought in I'm pretty sure that if they would have came in the worship of God, the true worship of God, would have been at stake and would have probably been driven out of that area by these people who were not of God and did not have the intentions of God to come in and to help build. So the foundations were laid, the work was in progress, construction was moving forward with the temple, and you can be sure whenever God is building something and moving something satan is not far behind to seek and destroy it and we're going to see what the enemy does here not only satan who definitely had his fingers in it but the people uh, of the land would bring so we're going to start in chapter four we're going to see right here the enemy already starting to try to defame the people of god frank accusations against them that were not necessarily true. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity, uh, captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Aserhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So we see these people coming in and I'm pretty sure whenever they approached Zerubbabel and they're coming to want to help build the temple, their intentions were probably not bad. I'm pretty sure they didn't come in thinking we're going to destroy this temple. We're going to take over these people because they're they're small in number and uh, that's the way it's going to be. I believe they went in with the right intentions. They didn't go in looking at themselves as the enemy to the jews and they and i'm pretty sure the jews uh, they were thinking that the jews were not going to think that we were enemies hey guys we're coming to lend a helping hand let us help you build this temple we worship god just like you do and we hear that a lot in our society today with several different religions being the mormons or the jehovah witnesses they'll tell us hey we worship god just as you do But in reality, they're not worshiping the same Jesus. They're not surrendering to the same Jesus. But we see here that the enemy came looking peaceful as they come to lend a helping hand. And often the enemy of our souls will do that, will come and to be peaceful with us and try and find a common ground that we can come together on and worship God together. But the problem is that they did not want to become worshipers of God, not the type that was represented by the Jews who had returned. It was not the same type of worship. They wanted a comfortable worship of God, the kind that would be able to add a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Let's add a little bit of bell worship along with worshiping Yahweh. Let's add a little bit of the Asherah working, worshiping. We Yahweh or Moloch, let's add some of that in as well as we worship Yahweh. And that was not the intention of the Jews going back to build the temple. That was not the intention of what God had. And I think many in our church today, they want to live a comfortable worship of God. They want to come sit in our pews, worship God, listen to a good word on Sunday, but they may live like hell the rest of the week. And that is not the kind of worship that we are called to, to worship God. He calls for us to be dedicated to the work that he has for us. He calls us to be dedicated to worship of him. He has a jealousy for his people. That He wants us to worship him because he knows if we go off to worship other things that it is not good for us. We have a jealous father and that is a good thing that he cares for us in that manner. And we notice here that it was when the adversaries heard that the temple was being built to the true living God, that they could not join now that they've heard as the rebel said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with you. He says in verse 3, it says, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. Separating themselves from an immoral world and idolatrous people. And how many of us need to maybe do that in our own life, separate that idolatrous world away from our worship of God, or maybe even separate uh, relationships so that our worship of God is not tainted or poisoned by their ways. Call that a divine disconnect, getting away from those people who will bring us and our faith down. But it's funny how the enemy doesn't show up when he, when he, whenever he thinks that you're not serious about your faith. You know, I don't think that people would have showed up here if they didn't think that these people were serious about the worship that they were going to give to God. So the enemy often doesn't show up when he thinks we are not serious about our faith. But as soon as we become serious about our faith, that's when we're a threat to him and his, his agenda, and he'll show up, and he'll try and show out on us to... To condemn us which we'll talk about condemnation a little bit later but try and condemn us and get us to feel guilty for what we have done in our past and we're going to see here as these people in the surrounding areas are going to write a letter back to the persian king accusing them of things that had happened in the past and often that past will come back now these people who were in the surrounding area no doubt some of them were assyrians but they were also a group of people which we learn about a little bit more in the the New Testament, but the Samaritans. Remember the Samaritan lady that was at the well that Jesus spoke to? So we have here many years earlier, we had the 10 northern tribes that got carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. And often what the Assyrians would do would transplant these people. They took captives into different communities and what have you. And at this particular moment, those who were residents of that northern kingdom, maybe the Assyrians and the surrounding people, they were having a problem where mountain lions were coming to kill the inhabitants of that land. And they were thinking that uh, at that time they often looked at gods as regional gods, not God like we look at God who is the God of the whole world, the galaxy, the universe. But they would look at regional gods. So they're thinking here that these lions, lions, Killing the people in, these, in this inhabitants was because of the local god, Yahweh, was causing this to happen. So they would write back up to the king of Assyria at that time and ask them to send priests who was in service to Yahweh to come back into the land to where maybe they could sacrifice or say a prayer or whatever it may be to drive these mountain lions away, that their God would be appeased with the worship that they would give them. And eventually, with that thinking, these priests and these, these Jews that were moved back in would eventually intermarry with the people of the land and would eventually create a new race of people called the Samaritans. So we see some of that here, the Samaritans, as well as others who are living in that area wanting to come and worship and to help build this temple. But as we had just said, Zerubbabel and the the fathers, the leaders of that place said, we will have you do nothing with us because their motives and their agenda was not in line with what God wanted done for that temple. So we see here saying that they will not do it, but it seems that the enemy's tricks seem to be the same. And we see whenever this type of thing happens, when there's a move of God, there's always wants to have persecution on believers. Whether it's the, the history of the Jews who were persecuted all the way through, even to, to modern times, or us here at the church being persecuted for the work that God wants us to do. We look out, and we'll talk about that in a minute, too, about in California, how the persecution is heavy, where they don't want to open up churches. And they're... They're considering uh, wanting to close those churches, those places of worship. And as we look through church history, you can just look at the Roman Empire itself and how much persecution was brought on the church. But in that persecution, the church strengthened and the church enlarged and the church uh, moved on and marched on as persecution came. But then the enemy notices something. That persecution doesn't seem to be working. They seem to be getting stronger. So instead of seeking to destroy and fight the church... Satan joins the church. And we look at the church we have here in America, even in Europe is really bad, where the church is not the church anymore. They're not worshiping the true and living God. They're in that that comfort worship of God, like we spoke about earlier, where they wanted to worship God in a way that made them feel comfortable. And as soon as any kind of persecution would come, they would flee from it. We have to stand firm on the Word of God. We have to stand firm on what God's mission is for us. And we also have to disconnect ourselves from anyone or anything that will come up against the church of Christ. And that's what the Jeroboam and the people here, the Jews, were doing. It says, as they attempted here, he sees, he seeks to mix, they seek to mix religion. Uh, with culture and compromise and that 's exactly what the inhabitants of the land were going to do and that has proven to be a very effective tactic today mixing cultures in with religion you know often putting the culture ahead of the church there's many cultures in, in, in the world that do that that they, they place their their localized culture above what the word of God says when it should be def- the exact opposite of that, that the word of God should be ahead of the culture. But unfortunately, across the world, we don't see that. And then we see Zerubbabel here pushing them away. That we're not going to intermingle with you in your idolatrous ways, but we're going to keep the worship of God pure and according to the law that was given to Moses. So in verse 4, it says, The Bible tells us here that the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So this persecution and and this um, bothering of the Jews lasted for a very long time. It it even went on uh, to the building of the wall, so it lasted for years. In verse 6, it says, in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they in, uh, the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. All right. And it talks about them going into their reign. So we see here that the refusal to allow them to participate in building the temple did not please the people that were around them. It only upset them that they were not able to participate in this building. Um, And we know here that it wasn't just the Samaritans. We have the other people in the outlining areas of Jerusalem and Judah that were upset as well. But I'm pretty sure the Samaritans probably ignited a lot of the the fuel that upset these people of not being able to worship on their own terms. And that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted to worship on their own terms, not the terms that were given by the law of Moses. It was not that they were totally excluded, because I'm pretty sure if you had some of them there that truly wanted to worship Yahweh. They wanted to truly worship God according to the law of Moses. I am sure that they would have let them in to be able to worship. If they would have forsaken all their idols, all the other gods they worship and had the centrality of worshiping the one and true living God, there would have been no issue. But the problem is that they didn't want to worship him only. They wanted to worship God outside of the law that was given to the Jewish people so they wanted to put their own ideas in there so we know that the Samaritans worshiped multiple gods and such religious acts were widespread and this had been going on since the days of Jeremiah and even uh, before that these worship of these idols and it was more of a they would not let him in the help because it was more of keeping purity of the temple and its worship was therefore their first concern. That's what the returnees wanted. They wanted to make sure that this worship remained pure. So here we see that the people would try and stop them for building. They tried to weaken the hands of the Jews as they built this temple. No doubt that they were coming in with, I'm pretty sure, violent mobs. Sounds familiar. Coming in with political issues to try and stop them. And probably just shouting at them and And getting underneath their skin to try and stop them from building the temple was their aim because they were upset because they weren't able to join in. A little bit of jealousy there. Now we'll see that they will begin to write a letter campaign to the authorities against the people of God. And we look. we just talked about that. It sounds like our narrative today is we, as a body of Christ, start to try and navigate our way through this COVID-19 mess and the, uh, the social unrest that we are dealing with right now. Sometimes it's hard to understand what God is doing and to see exactly where he is moving within the church. And it says that outside entities, as we, we see in California, will start to tell the government, hey, we, maybe we shouldn't you know, let people come into the house of God to worship. And it's not just California. There's other states as well. Maybe we shouldn't let people come into the house of God to worship because COVID-19 may spread like wildfire. But we see everything else, everyone else gathering together for, for deeds that are contrary to God. Because we're in a warfare right now. We are not sitting in peaceful times. We are in a spiritual warfare, dealing with this Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the government. We are in a spiritual warfare right now if we don't know it. I hope you know it. And even if the government doesn't want to ref- re- restrict, uh, doesn't restrict the gathering like here in Louisiana, at least we're able to meet together in the house of God. And thank God that we're able to do that, but you may have others who will try and stop the worship of God. Uh, I, believe was, I believe the pastors uh, from North Carolina, his church was being vandalized because they continuously meet with each other every Sunday and every Wednesday. And there was a group of people that didn't want that to happen that was associated with these uh, different groups out there. uh, Tagging their church up with graffiti and everything else. Trying to stop and intimidate the people of God. And we cannot be intimidated. We must stand on the word of God. No matter how bad it gets. We must stand on the word of God. And Jesus tells us that, guess what? Persecution is going to come. And we see here the people of Israel being persecuted by these people who are living in the surrounding areas because they were not able to build a temple with them. Because their, their brand of worship was definitely contrary to what God had set up. In verse 7, as we continue, it says, In the days of Artaxerxes, also Bishlam, Misradath, Tabol, and the rest of the companions wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into Aramaic language. Rahum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to king Artaxerxes in this fashion. Now we're going to read some of the letter that they wrote. It says, from Rahum, the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of the companions, representatives of Denaites Denna, the Afrosethkites, the Terapalites, the people of Persia, and Eric, and Babylon, and Shushan, and Dehavites, the El- Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Old Snapper took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria, and the rema- remainder beyond the river, and so forth. Verse 11, it says, this is a copy of the letter that they sent him. To kings or to Xorses, from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river, and so forth. Let it be known that to the king that the Jews who come up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city and or finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it now be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute or custom and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now, because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. And you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and province, and that they have incited sedition within the city in uh, former times for which cause this city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the results will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. So here we have the letter that is saying that the very people who were rebuilding had been rebellious and had troubled kings in the past. And that is true. They definitely uh, were rebels against those who came against Jerusalem. They were definitely those who would cause trouble to other kings trying to attack, and rightfully so. They were going to defend the territory and the promised land that God had given them. For on three, three occasions, Jerusalem rebelled against the king, seeking to control her. If someone was going to come to my house and try and take over my house, I think I would protect my house as well. And that's exactly what those in Jerusalem were doing at the time, as these other kingdoms came to try and take over. Now let's take note that the tactics of the enemy is still the same tactics of the enemy is still happening today. They wrote this letter to this king digging up digging up all this dirt on them. Oh, they were a rebellious city. They used to fight against other kings. You know, all these things they are bad people digging up dirt from the past. And isn't it funny how the enemy still does that today, that he will find out where we have failed and make sure that our failures are advertised. I think about the politicians we have today. Maybe we don't want to think about them too much, but in an election year like we're in today, all the dirt that's going to come up and all the backbiting and lies and slander that come up in these elections, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to us he wants to remind us of a time when we were rebellious against god when we did things that were contrary to what god wants and that's how he tries to defeat us and we know that satan is known as the accuser of the brethren. in revelations twelve ten, it says then i heard a loud voice saying in heaven now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our god and the power of his christ have come and here it is, for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. The good news is we're not going to be accused by him forever. And he'll shoot those fiery darts at us to accuse us of every wrong underneath the sun. Just like the enemies here of, Jew, of, of the Jews were sitting there sending back to King Artaxerxes, Telling him, hey, look at all this bad stuff they did in the past. They were a rebellious people. And if you let them continue, guess what? They're not going to pay you and your money is going to be less than what it is now. They're going to want to fight and rebel against you. So the enemy will bring these accusations against us to try and discourage us as the members of the body of Christ. He wants to discourage our walks to the point where we want to give up on our faith, but we can't give up on our faith because we remember what Christ did for us. He redeemed us. And there is no longer any condemnation in Christ. If you are in Christ, you can no longer be condemned. No matter what the enemy says, there is no condemnation. As we continue on in verse 17, it says, Now the king is going to answer him back. This is his return letter. It says the king sent an answer to Rahum, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe, to the rest of the companions who dwell in Samaria and to the remainder beyond the river. Peace, peace and so forth. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me. And I gave the command and search has been made and it was found that this city in former times had revolted against kings in rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings of Jerusalem who have ruled over the region beyond the river and tax tribute and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease that the city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and uh, Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. It says here that they went against them to make them stop by force of arms. So they got violent with them to make them stop. They showed a show of force before them to get them to stop what they were doing so here we are now given the king's reply this would of course have been produced by the people in the surrounding area showing Zerubbabel look we got message from the king he's saying stop stop building the temple and that's exactly what the people wanted if they couldn't be part of it well neither can you we're going to stop you from building this place of worship to God So the king confirmed the letter had been read to him and that he had accordingly initiated a search. So he went to see if what these people were saying to him were true. And they made a search and they found that, guess what? The, the kingdom of, of Judah, Jerusalem, the city did rebel, did fight against kings. And these things really did happen. But he also made mention that he also had great kings that ruled this city as well and had tribute and taxes paid to them. And they ruled on the other side of the river as well. So we see some of the history in a a quick snapshot uh, here in this letter of what Israel or Judah had done. But in verse 22, it tells us clearly here that it says uh, that they needed to go and quickly tell them. So they went and quickly tell them. But what ends up happening is this, It's not that the king told them to tear down everything they had done. He had simply told them to cease, stop where they're at, because we're going to do a further investigation to see if what uh, the Jews, which we'll see in later chapters, if what the Jews are saying, building this temple that King Cyrus had told them to do it. So they're going to take a further investigation. But we're going to look at one theme for the rest of this uh, sermon here that this chapter speaks about and that's condemning we see the people condemning the jews condemning what they were doing and and digging up this dirt that was on them just like our attention or just like our enemy does to us so we're going to look at the effects of condemnation and we ask ourselves sometimes it says here that the work had ceased and we asked ourselves why does the enemy condemn you or condemn me? Why does he do this? And why does he go through our records and our life and brightens a light on our failures and our flaws? Because I know all of us go through that. All of us go through a point in our lives where we remember something that we did that was maybe horrible, and we think to ourselves, am I even saved? Does God even love me? He knows I did that in the past. You know, and the enemy will bring those thoughts to our mind. And the enemy does it because he knows it will cause us to become disheartened and our hope would be lost and we'd want to give up our faith. We want to give up our walk with Christ. But Satan wants us to give up our faith, but we know that we cannot give up our faith, just like the people here will not give up their mission. Often God's work stops when God's people feel the effects of the accusations and the condemnation. Pastors giving up on the ministry that God gave them because of accusations against them or condemnation that they feel from the enemy or just your everyday believer starts to feel this sense of depression because the enemy is weighing down hard on them, reminding them of the past that they had. But we serve a God who is bigger than that, that does not condemn us, but forgives us of that past. And we're going to ask, are you being condemned right now? And has the enemy been having a field day in your life, reminding you of your failures and your shortcomings? If so, i got good news for you. God doesn't condemn us. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Zero. That's what it means. None who do the work according to the flesh, but who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If we are in tune with God, with His Word, and we're in tune with God in prayer, and we're in tune with God in worship, when that sense of condemnation comes on you, and that sense of guilt comes on you, we're going to be able to walk with it with our heads up, knowing that we serve a God who died for us so that we don't have to walk through that alone. And too many people walk through that condemnation and that accusation alone, not knowing that Christ is right there, ready to reach his hands out to help you through it. And yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us, convicts us of the sins that we we, we commit so that we can, what, repent of those sins and continue our walk with Christ. He doesn't condemn us. But the condemnation of Satan causes you to cease the work that he has put before you, to slow down the work that God has put before you. Whereas the conviction of the Spirit will always motivate you to continue on in your walk with Christ. So we must remain strong in the faith, putting on the full armor of God as we see in Ephesians 6, to combat the lies and the accusations of the enemy. Amen. Father, we do come to you tonight, and we thank you, Father, that you walk with us through those times of darkness. You walk with us through those times of acquisitions and and condemnation, Lord, that the enemy tries to to throw at us, Father God, and we know that you you have died for that, Father God, and that we can rest assured in you that there is no condemnation in you, Father God, and we thank you, Father. We just ask for your blessings over those here tonight and for safe travels back home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.